Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we have two guests from Australia. We have Erin Ordenhoff, who is a Doctor of Psychology clinical candidate at the School of Psychology, Deakin University uh, in Melbourne. And she's also a benzodiazepine counsellor as well. We are also joined by Dr. Petra Steiger, who is an Associate Professor at the School of Psychology in Deakin University. The paper is The Role of the Prescriber in Supporting Patients to Discontinue Benzodiazepines, a Qualitative Study. And of course, we know that there are challenges with the need to improve support and guidance for GPs to help with deprescribing where necessary. I started by asking Erin to tell us a little bit more about the background with benzodiazepines and prescribed benzodiazepines and when people get into difficulty and the types of problems they may have. I mean, benzodiazepines in primary care are typically prescribed for sleep problems when people are struggling with issues with anxiety. So they might be given some benzos to help manage some panic attacks or other issues relating to anxiety. Benzos are super effective in that they take them and 20 minutes later they're, you know, noticing the effect. So they have relatively few side effects in the short term apart from the sedation and kind of drowsiness that they can cause but the, the harms that we see with benzos tend to start to develop after about a month of continued use. And we're talking daily or near daily use here, not once in a while, where there is this risk of people developing uh, dependence. So not only is there this risk for physical dependence to develop, where if people try to stop, there will be the onset of some sort of rebound symptoms where either their sleep issue or anxiety will increase and be at a higher degree than it was before they started taking the benzo. Um, but they can also experience withdrawal symptoms, the onset of new symptoms when they try to cease their medication. The other thing that's really problematic with benzos is that when they're used for long periods of times, those cognitive issues that we start to see where people develop memory issues, delayed reaction times, and those have implications for driving where there's a higher risk of car accident for people who are on benzos. Um, and also in older adults, the risk for falls because benzos do create um, issues with muscle tone and can mean that people have a lack of coordination, lose their balance when they're on them for long periods of time. Um, and some, some issues with potentially developing um, memory issues that evolve into something like dementia that we're seeing some early evidence for but at the moment that is not really conclusive but um yeah whole range of potential harms over time that develop with taking benzos okay so um, we, we've got this qualitative paper and we're not going to talk in detail about the methodology and some of the uh, preliminary findings, some of the, um, all of the findings today. What we really want to concentrate on is perhaps what we can do a little bit differently to help people who are looking at discontinuing um, benzodiazepines. That result, there's several different areas to touch on there. I wonder if we could just uh, maybe start off with you, Erin, just to, to start outlining some of the possible areas that we can look at in terms of doing things a little bit differently. What, what came out of your research? Yeah, so um, quite a bit came out of the research, so it's hard to kind of whittle it down to one or two key messages. Um, but what we did in this study was interviewed um, long-term benzo users, so people that were on them for a minimum of six months, but actually 
the people we spoke to were on them for an average of 10 years. So they're on their benzos for quite some time. Um, and so when we asked them what, what would make it difficult for them to stop their medication or what would help them come off, we, we came up with a whole list of different potential interven intervention points for GPs to be thinking about. Um, one really important barrier that came up for this group was the fact that they identified that their original problem still persisted. Now, you can imagine in people that have been on this medication for, you know, months, if not years, um, to not see any significant improvement in the underlying issue, we want to be thinking about, well, how can we actually start to help them see an improvement in their quality of life and well-being that, you know, beyond just taking the medication, what else can we explore to help them see that issue start to be addressed? So even though that was a barrier to them coming off their medication that, well, I still need it, my problem is still an issue for me, that's clearly a, a talking point for GPs to be addressing with patients, that we need to start really thinking about other evidence-based treatments that we can offer these patients, things like psychological intervention or other behavioural strategies like relaxation. Yeah. The other important thing that came up that was really consistent across our participants was um, one key enabler or facilitator that they recognised was that knowing the harms associated with benzos was a key motivator for them to change their use. So even though they may have been informed at the outset, over time they diminish kind of paying attention to the harm and just think, actually, this is really helping, I'm sleeping now. But potentially people aren't aware that over time with taking a benzo, your sleep quality will start to change. So the, the nature of your sleep, the architecture of your sleep will change over time and you won't have as good quality of sleep. So the benzo starts to work against you if you stay on it for a long period of time and people might not be aware of that. So being informed about these potential harms that they, they start to outweigh the benefits, the short-term benefits, is something that all our participants said, this is what I needed to know in order to motivate me to change my use. This paper was, when we reviewed it, when it was going through the process at BJGP, one of the things we really loved about it was that uh, we, know, we know that um, it wasn't written by GPs. And so we always look at papers carefully to work out if the message is <laughs> pertinent. But this, we just really thought this paper hit the spot, that there was just incredibly sensibly, sensible, pragmatic, practical advice here that understood the difficulties for general practitioners as well, particularly in the introduction, you know, they talk about it being a demanding and thankless task trying to reduce benzodiazepines. And we thought that there is mm. a, there's an absolute wealth of information um, here in this paper. And I really encourage GPs, anybody who's involved in actually not necessarily GPs, but anybody who's involved in speaking to people about long-term benzodiazepines to read the paper, because I think there's so much there. And so we can only touch on a few bits and pieces in terms of today, what the um, practical messages are. Perhaps this might be a good point for me to go to you now, Petra, and you could tell us a little bit more about some of the, perhaps some of the, maybe the key messages that you've seen there that we can get through to our colleagues. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Because uh, both Erin and I have been involved in um, GP training and worked in primary care, I'm really pleased to hear that that sort of came across because that we were really keen to, to do that. And I guess some of the work that we'll continue to do is actually, so if you look at the paper, it looks at, at a, there's sort of like a roadmap 
And so the plan is to actually um, identify some of the sort of key strategies and the and the key indicators of when it's a good time to start a conversation and how to do that conversation. So, for example, um, having the conversation in a rushed manner, one-off doesn't work. The you know the the con- consumers patients were saying no we need this to be sort of a slower conversation but interestingly I know that and I've I know this with in in other work I've done um that people were saying they do want the GP to raise it you know how there's this concern of oh I better not raise it's a very difficult conversation and it is a difficult conversation when someone's been on it for a very long time but it was very clear the voice of the consumer saying actually no we do want um, the GP, we're okay with them raising it, but what we would like them to do is actually provide a really clear rationale of some of the harms associated with it, like how Erin really clearly articulated what are these harms and how can we then work together and, and reduce it over two or three sessions, these conversations need to occur. So I think that's a really key thing for me that came across. Yeah, I like the um, the uh, this. The, I think it's box one. It's that stage based approach. And um, uh, one of the things that other things I liked about this paper is you used the trans theoretical model, which always sounds a bit scary, um, but yes. actually is really <laughs> straightforward and is kind of that. Yes. It's just that kind of you know. And I use it all the time when I'm working with people who have dependence issues about whether someone's pre contemplative or contemplative, or whether they're actually taking action or whether yes. they're maintenance. And for me, it remains one of the most practical tools of thinking about when you've got a person in front of you who's got any drug use or, you know, or any or considering Mm -hmm. any action, whether it's related to smoking or whether it's related to benzos or anything or doing exercise, that actually it's incredibly useful and practical model. Yeah, I think that's what's helped to really um, articulate a very simplified model in what you're saying in the stage based approach that we presented is, you know, a few key questions to identify where people are at and then this is your task. We wanted to make it as simple and straightforward as possible. But also I guess a key message for us is, one, it's starting the conversation and knowing that it's not a single conversation, it's an ongoing conversation with the patient and also that the focus doesn't actually need to be on getting them off the medication. We don't see the message as being this is a bad Um, benzos are bad, you've got to come off them. It's actually talking to the patient about, is this working for you? Let's think about how we can improve, you know, your quality of life or how we can work together to start to address some of these problems that might not um, have been treated as well as they could have been. So it's much more focused on collaboratively working with the patient to address other issues rather than focusing on, you know, getting them off the benzo. It's expected that when you do take that process, do take that focus and also give the patient the education they need about the harms, is that they'll actually make the decision themselves. And that's where you'll actually see a really positive outcome when you've empowered the patient to make that choice for themselves. Yeah, so there's good sort of elements of motivational interviewing sort of threaded in there, isn't there, in terms of actually maybe not imposing it. What yep. One thing I think we should mention before, because I'm very aware of time, is that some, many people will be coming off, if not most, perhaps when they're presented with that information, though, as you say, that's going to be down to them. Mention the importance of a gradual um, dose reduction plan, perhaps, as being a, a, and how we interact with people who are, are doing that as well. 
Yeah, and I think, look, the, the NICE guidelines have really great information for GPs around um, tapering patients off. But more important than following any guideline is making sure that the patient really feels that they are empowered to let their GP know if they need to slow it down. So it does need to be really tailored for the patient um, and have that flexibility to kind of slow down as required. So if life stresses go up, it might mean that they need to pause that reduction, that they can't keep pushing through and reducing. It's not about how quickly they get off. We want them to get off and stay off. So it's about finding what works for that particular patient whilst making sure they've got sufficient support in place to make sure they can get through the entire process. Because for a lot of people, it can take quite some time. Well, it can take six months sometimes or more, can't it, Erin, that you've seen with working together, you know, with a GP and then perhaps a counsellor as well. Because I think one of the other key things that for me, listening to the the sort of conversations or the, the I know that I wasn't there, but the sort of it feels like they were so alive. The 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 things people were saying, and they were saying the original problem is still there. And then I don't feel I can give up benzos. But and so Aaron's point about you know not getting into this tug of war about you know giving up and you should give up and they're really bad but actually okay so why were you on them in the first place because it might not have been that gp who put who prescribed it initially and so going back to so tell me a bit about why you were prescribed that in the first place is that problem still there you know is it an issue for you and being able to I mean it sounds very simple but actually you know it's a bit like someone just on it for a very long time and they've just got used to it and the GPs got used to it and and the conversation just never occurs and so the GP they're they're they really welcome a conversation hey actually let's talk about this yeah and that was consistent even for individuals we interviewed who had no desire or intention to stop using their medication. Um, they did indicate that if their GP brought it up, they would be willing to give it a go. So mm. we know that they want to talk about it and if they do have a good quality relationship with their GP and they, they feel they trust them and the GP has got their best interest in mind, that they're actually really willing to give it a go. So I guess... Our message is GPs shouldn't be too hesitant or worried that, you know, this isn't what the patient wants. Or that they'll offend them more. Yeah, yeah, if the patient believes this is in my best interest and you're really looking out for me, then they'll probably be on board, if not straight away, when they return for the next appointment. It's absolutely fascinating, and I could let you both talk for hours. I think we'd better draw a line there. There's, I, I'm just going sure. to draw the listeners' attention again back to the paper because I think there's a tremendous amount of useful, practical information there. Um, and that last section about the patient-prescriber relationship is so important, and you know, as you mentioned yes. in the paper, can be a great facilitator as well. Uh, Petra, Erin, thank you both very much. Our pleasure. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. <laughs>